Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're going to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Do you want to talk about this book? So, I'm just, I'm upset for part of this book. I'm really happy for part of this book, but I'm really upset for the rest of it. Yeah? Uh, Just mostly in regards to my beloved, wonderful, completely progressive thinking and not judgmental son, Aximili. Yes. <sighs> Aximili has a big growth arc through this book. He does. Why are we I- calling him by his formal full name? Because I'm cross with him. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this was an axe book as told by Marco. Yes. But I would not have liked to have been in Axe's head while this book was going on. No, I would I would have thrown this book out the window. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a very difficult read for sure. But yeah, let's let's talk about it cuz we finally we finally get some andalites that don't suck. <laughs> yes. And are they new characters that you thoroughly love is the question i mean i i find their their relationship very compelling and yeah i would definitely like to read more about them in future books if they decided to pop up yeah i was super excited for you to read this book for so many reasons but that was the biggest one Uh, uh, were you thoroughly disappointed after I built up this book so much for you? <laughs> no, it was great. Okay, I good. was just I was just very 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 distracted by my sweet baby boy axe, like the whole time. Yes, like I was really happy about the Andalites, but I was also really mad at axe. So yeah, <laughs> it took away from it a little bit, but yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's, you're right, let's get into this, because we have a lot to talk about. We both have seven pages of notes. Yes. All right, so this book opens with Marco. He's having a night off at home, blissfully alone. His dad and Nora are gone to a date, I guess. And Euclid was at the vet. Yeah, they're super gross. I hate them. (laughs) They're probably at a math convention. Those gross adults. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i like uh, to think that euclid got neutered but maybe. maybe that's hoping for too much i did was he not neutered maybe that's why he was such a dick that could be although it's like marco mentions uh in the open that he's occasionally very occasionally a dog sitter so maybe marco and euclid's relationship is really growing and changing euclid's becoming decent maybe i don't I know i would hope so i would hope so too what an annoying Still Nora's dog. fault. Yeah, she's horrible. 
<laughs> I do not approve. I really don't feel like that strongly about Nora at all. So like, I don't know why I'm going so hard that she's terrible because like, I'm fine with her. I have no reason she's... to dislike her. Yeah, it's math. like she hasn't done anything. Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> whatever. Uh, anyway. Whatever. So yeah, Euclid's at the vet. Drake and Rachel were at a family event. Cassie was with her mom at a vet conference that was happening at the gardens. Tobias and Axe were doing whatever it is they do on a night off. And Marco was laying on the couch, vegging out to some crappy cryptid TV show. Everything was going well until they came back from the commercial break and played an amateur video taking just a few weeks prior. Dun, dun, dun. Um, on this video was an Andalite. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, no. It was just a matter of time, though. Yes, it was really just a matter of time. And Marco, I kind of loved this section. Marco immediately kicks it into high gear. He's like, there's only one Andalite it could possibly be because there's only one Andalite on Earth other than Fizzer 3. He's like, that's Axe. And so he starts sprinting up the stairs thinking of all the people that would see this segment and like how some of them, well, most of them wouldn't know what it was, even though most of them had just been introduced for the first time to the actual alien that they've seen. Like all these people that watch these trash TV shows and this is finally the real deal. And it's just this like shitty grainy video. And then he was talking about how like, you know, a portion of those people won't know what they saw. A portion of those people will know what they saw. And a small portion will go after them because they know exactly what it is. So Marco's like running up to his room and he's morphing as fast as he can. He's going so fast that his legs went first and he ended up toppling over onto his back and watching his body go all weird morphing Osprey. But he's like, I'm not going to let anyone get axe. No one. And he headed out. And I liked that. Marco was, like, really intense about how he was going to save Axe. I was mad because he mentioned that he could see the curly poodle dog hair in his carpet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but poodles are hypoallergenic yeah. and they don't shed. Yeah, we looked this up already, Marco. Unless yeah, maybe Marco. Marco just, like, takes scissors and cuts parts of the dog's hair. <laughs> oh, my God! Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> just, like, a little bit at a time. Yeah, just like... So that Nora doesn't notice. <laughs> Maybe he just, like, has one of the poops on his head and Marco just, like, reshapes it every once in a while. Oh, my... Oh, that's cute. Yeah, he's like, he oh, just, no, like, his poop him. is flat. Yeah. I was thinking, like, he, he, like, he still hates Euclid, so he's just, like, cutting little bits of hair off just to, like, fuck with him. <laughs> and then, like, telling um, Nora that he has, like, alopecia or something. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with him. It's just real weird. <laughs> but I like yours better that he, like, hangs out with Euclid and, like, gives him a little haircuts. So that's so cute. Like, just when it's, like, you know, when he's in between grooming and he's, like, oh, his ear poof is looking a little wonky and, like, yeah. just kind of trims it a little. Yeah. Okay. New canon. I love that. <laughs> New canon. They like each other just a little bit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I assume the worst in Marco. No, that's that's fine. It's every other book would lead you to assume the worst in Marco. So <laughs> that's fair. It's just this book that gives me some renewed hope in him. <laughs> yeah, every Marco book, I'm like, I'm reminded. It's like, oh, you're actually a really good boy. Yeah, you just say bad, bad things sometimes. Yeah. Even in this book, he says a few rough things, but he's doing his best. Yeah. So anyways, Marco heads out to Axe's scoop, and he makes it there, and he finds Axe and Tobias hanging out and watching TV, and Tobias is like, what brings you out to this neck of the woods? Da -da -da. And Marco's like, I don't know, he starts telling him shit, and then he's demorphing, and then his mouth gets all weird, and then finally he's like, I there's an Andalite on TV, this is all fucked up. 
So um, he's like, it's, I don't know how to tell you guys it's this show. I, we're going to have to wait for it to do a rerun or so. I don't know. And then Tobias is like, oh, no worries. Axe tapes every single channel on every single minute of every day. And here's how? the tape of it. Let's pull it up. How? I don't know. Do you know how many fucking VHS tapes you would need? Yeah, that was the other thing. He pulled out the VHS tape of it. And it's like, if it's going to like a chip or something that can store like a lot of data that is like andalite in nature, I can understand it. But no, he legit pulls out like a VHS tape. Plus it just aired. So he would have had to been taping it like that day. I don't know. He's taping everything all the time on every channel. Okay. Well, I call bullshit on that, but. For plot purposes, I'll accept it. Yeah. I mean, this would have been great if this opened with them going to the TV station trying to steal the tape just so they could watch it. But no, Axe taped it. Whatever. It's fine. So they pull up the clip. (laughs) It's fine. Just Just roll with it. We'll just roll with it. Um, So Axe pulls up the clip in no time. They watch it, pause it, rewind, watch it. They're checking it out. And they're like... Axe, is that you? And Axe is like, I can't really tell from this angle. And Marco starts, like, theorizing, like, well, maybe this is, like, Visor 3, and he wants to expose himself to, like, spring a trap or blah, blah, blah. And then Tobias is like, oh, no, this isn't you or Visor 3. And they're like, why, Tobias? And he's like, this Andalite only has half a tail. And Axe is like, a veckle? And then Marco's like, I detect a hint of disgust in your tone. And he's like... What's going on, Axe? Tell me how you really feel about this. And then Marco starts saying, the Yerks could still go after him and use him as a host, to which Axe replies, no, he's useless as a host because he's not morph capable. Otherwise, he would have fixed this tail thing. And Marco's like, well, he still has knowledge of Andalite stuff. And Axe is like, yeah, he's a problem. But Axe says it in a way that's not an agreeable way to say it. Ugh. Yeah. It begins. It begins. Axe is being a problematic child. Didn't love this. <laughs> yeah, but it'll get better. Um, so anyways, there, Tobias is the woodsman extraordinaire, and he's like, I see from this video that there are hints of where this meadow might be. I recognize a tree that got hit by lightning and blah, 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 blah. So Tobias <laughs> leads him out there. <laughs> if this were a TV show... It would be like a shot of the still video and then a crossfade into the place that they needed to go to. <laughs> you know there, what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. There was several scenes in this book that I looked at and I absolutely thought like, oh, this was written for TV. Like this description is mm-hmm. amazing and I can see the shot that they were like wanting you to picture. Yeah. Oh. So I really like that. And I, I did look up who, uh, who the um, ghostwriter is. And it was Gina Gascone. Let me pull up the page so I can actually look at her name and tell you if we see her again or not. But it was Gina, and I really liked her. Yeah, Gina Gascone. And we have not seen her yet, and we never see her again. So, yeah, it really is a bummer. She, like, she had some really good work here. Um, So, anyways, yeah, it was crossfade to the meadow where tobias knows where it is <laughs> fade across the screen uh and then they're in the meadow <laughs> uh 
Um, they didn't think at all to wait for the rest of the team. Like, it never occurred to them, like, we should get Jake or Rachel. They're like, let's just go now and scope it out. So um, they're looking around for clues. Marco's gone to Owl so that he can get some serious night vision to look for things. Tobias is still himself. I know, Marco's the only one thinking this through. Um, they're looking for anything that's out of place. They're looking for, like, blood, torn up ground. Clues! Anything. Any clues at all. Um, and then Axe goes, hey, we may want to demorph now because we're at about 90 minutes. And so they're like, okay, like, let's be responsible here and, and demorph now and remorph. And they decide to even stagger their demorphing for safety so that somebody's always, like, you know, ready to cover. Um, and Marco picks a spot that has a little bit of cover and he starts to go first. As he's demorphing, he spots something in front of him. And it's twisting and growing from a possum to a giant beast with blue fur. And he warns the others. He's like, oh, my God, it's an Andalite. And as he watches him demorph, he realizes, like, oh, no, this isn't Visor 3. This dude is swole as hell. (laughs) I was just about to say, a very swole Andalite. He's so swole. Oh. The description of him is fucking amazing. Like, he's this guy that the... Andalite upper half of his body is built like a bodybuilder, like muscles on muscles on muscles. And he was like, even his, like the normally delicate Andalite hands are like, <laughs> look like bodybuilder hands, like wide and chunky and like <laughs> intense. It's like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, like Andalite. Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Andalite <laughs> top. And then his body is like basically a Clydesdale body. And oh, then. So cool. Right? The coolest. And then he has a super long tail and the blade on the end of it, he said, was like the Grim Reaper's scythe. It's gigantic. This dude is so cool. Dude, okay. All right. Visual development TV idea. Feel free to steal it if anyone is making a TV show of Animorphs. It would be cool (laughs) if the Andalites had different types of blades for their tails. Like maybe some have like like an axe. Not axe but axe, like an axe, like a chopping axe. Yeah. And then yeah, some have like, like a saber. And it would just be cool if it, they all had different kinds of tail blades that correlated to different real weapons. That would be sweet for like an Andalite Viking show. <gasps> yeah. That would be awesome. Uh, anyway, he's a big boy. He's, he's a big boy. He's fucking intense. This guy is my favorite Andalite we've ever seen. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I just love him. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's swole as hell. Gigantic Clydesdale body. And abs for he, days. Abs for days, obviously. Like, he's more swole than the Andalite that's on the Andalite Chronicles. Somehow. All the abs. Well, that one is delicate. Has a horse body. This guy, Clydesdale body. Because <laughs> a Clydesdale's not a horse. Well, it... Yeah. It's not a... Well, you... You know what I meant. It's a beef. <laughs> it's a beefcake. He's not a draft horse on that book. This is a draft horse we're looking at. Yes. Can pull 2,000 pounds, probably. Anyways, yeah, th- this dude's fucking intense. The bodybuilder of the Andalite world. The tank. He's a fucking tank. His stock eyes are probably muscular. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> It's like a SpongeBob thing that, like, when he turns them into, like, little, like, bent, like he's flexing his arms, he gets yeah. little biceps yeah. on them. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, shit. Anyways, this dude just ignores Marco. Like, doesn't give a fuck. Like, he's watching a human demorph, and he's like, 
I don't give a shit about that guy. And he saunters up to Axe, and the two of them are, like, sizing each other up. But, like, <laughs> Axe is just a little baby. Like, He's Axe is... He's a dainty little deer boy. He's a dainty little deer boy. He's so delicate and and just tiny in this moment. He's... He's a delicate little doll boy. A Bambi. He's he's a little Bambi boy before <laughs> Patrick Stewart comes in. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so Tobias is like, I'm going to help, I guess. And he tries to swoop in to distract this gigantic Andalite man guy. Mandalite. A Mandalite. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love this so much. Oh my god. This guy's a fucking beast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Tobias tries to swoop in, and the Andalite steps back, like, oh god, what's this thing? And they're like, it's gonna work, Tobias is gonna try, and then wham, Tobias gets hit and knocked to the ground by this guy's giant fucking tail blade. Stupid bird. Giant. Just literally, like, whoosh. (laughs) Backhands him. Yeah. Oh. This guy's amazing. He's just trying to help. He's a little bird. He done nothing wrong. (laughs) He is trying to help, but he is a little bird. Um, So Axe goes, Marco, don't move. And then he and the giant Andalite go charging at one another. And this big dude obviously just knocks Axe silly, like knocks him to the side, like sends him tumbling away like a little baby deer child that he is. And then Axe, like, kind of climbs to his feet all unsteady, like, and once he's up, the bigger Andalite just, like, flicks his tail blade towards Axe, holds it at his throat, and he's like, ah, Visitor 3, how did one as puny as you manage to rise so high in the ranks? And Axe is like, I'm not Visitor 3, I'm Axe and Millie. And, like, the bigger Andalite's like, wait, you're Elfangor's little brother? Elfangor's little brother! Elfangor's little brother! And Axe is like, yeah. And then Axe says something about the Veckle. And the bigger Andalite just screams, the Veckle! (laughs) (laughs) Which is really weird. I didn't get that reaction at all. I feel like he was like, it was more indignant. Like, how dare you call him a Veckle? Or a Veckle or whatever it's. I don't know how to pronounce this. I've always thought in my head it was Veckle. But it could be Veckle. Or Veckle. Or Veckle. I'm going to say Veckle. Anyway, I, I just pictured him being like, how dare you? Kind that of could thing. be. That could be. Because the next line is, his name is Myrtle Iskar Element, and you would do well to remember it. So it very well could be an indignant scream. Yeah. Yeah. And then Axe gets really pumped. He's like, I know Myrtle. His record is amazing. He's a crazy good fighter pilot. And Axe is like, and who are you? And he's like, I'm Gefinilin Estrif Valad. And Axe is like, I know you too, and you have an amazing record. (laughs) (laughs) He's a fanboys. He fanboys so hard. He's like, these two are amazing. Uh, And then Axe refers to him as Commander Gefinilin, and he's like, you must help us figure out how to get the Andalites here. Here, like... They're at this other planet fighting shit because the Yerks did, like, blah, blah, blah. And Gefinilin is just like, I must do nothing. My only job is to take care of Myrtle. And if you try to interfere, I swear on my parents that I will kill you. And Marco's like, oh, God, that guy's not exaggerating. He's so swole. He can't lie. <laughs> he and could snap you in half with his he could, vision. He could. With his dainty Andalite hands, he could snap you in half. <laughs> God. It's terrifying. <laughs> 
And then basically Gefinnon's just like, take your friends and leave, and I order you to forget that you ever met me. And You're not my prince, you can't tell me what to do. Pretty much. Like, don't tell me how to live my fucking life. You're not my dad! <laughs> You're not my real dad. <laughs> uh, but I love him. I love Gefinnon so much. I love Myrtle so much. I love them both. (laughs) So, okay, at this point, Mm -hmm. with the evidence we've just been given, which is a super swole Mandalite and Mm -hmm. another Andalite with a a missing tail or half a tail. Yes. So I did kind of know what we were in for because Mm -hmm. Maisha, our dear friend from, from Visor Chronicles, actually has a piece of fan art of the two of them. Yes. And I have seen it, and I saw it, like, before, even before we did this podcast, and I was like, oh, Andalites, like, I wonder what this is about. Oh, this is probably a spoiler. I should probably stop looking at it. <laughs> so now, now that kind of came back into my memory, and I was like, oh, I know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's my story. Yeah, this is, there's a lot of um, discourse throughout this book about, like, I'm doing this because of friendship, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, no, like every time they wrote that and like this is being talked about by Catherine and Michael Grant and and those guys. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're like, well, we just couldn't actually put like gay aliens into a children's book. Scholastic would not have let us. So we we had to like tone it down to friendship or like say friendship. But yeah, these these are absolutely two gay Andalites that are in love with each other. Yes. Like so. It, it was like the late 90s this is subtext absolutely yes. it's so great that they like confirmed it later oh yeah otp <laughs> yes i was like i feel like these two characters are so right up your alley that you would enjoy it so much <laughs> my, uh, my proclivities towards gay romance yeah, well, you're writing an entire, like, webcomic surrounding That's true. it, I so... Written, I have written and writing a gay romance, so, yeah. Yeah, I thought you might enjoy this. <laughs> yeah, like, literally the only... Th- I was delighted. Literally the only thing that took away from it was my bouncing was baby Axis brat. behavior, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But again, he comes around a little. He's learning and growing as a person. I hope so. He will. <laughs> He'll get there. He'll get there. Don't worry. Um, so luckily, Tobias was just unconscious. He wasn't dead. Yay. Yay. <laughs> just a throwaway line. He's not dead. Um, <laughs> he's and once he better. checks, he's, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Dark. Um, super dark. <laughs> <laughs> so once he checks himself over for injuries, he's like, I'm fine. And so he takes the air to try and follow Gefinilin. And Tobias is, like, scrambling to try and, like, dodge through the trees. And it's dark out. And he's still trying to follow him. So Marco goes to Wolf because he's like, well, I can sniff him out. Cool. And Axe goes to Harrier to have more eyes in the sky. Um, so Marco's sniffing around trying to pick up his scent. And he thinks he has it. But also, like, it's raining now. So, like, the scent's a little weird or dispersed. And Tobias and Axe are struggling in these, like, weird low-light conditions, but they finally spot him, and just as quickly as they spot him, Tobias loses him again. So Marco starts sniffing around, and Marco <laughs> kind of loses the scent in the same area, and um, his first assumption is there's a hidden Yerk pool entrance. He's the size of a truck. How could you lose him? 
He's a literal <laughs> fucking truck that they're going after. <laughs> oh, God. Because he's also fast. He's also got a high stealth. He's He rolled high in stealth. He's very fast. He's so swole. He could probably do a pull-up with his Andalite body. Oh, my God. He's OP. Like, just one. But just, just one. But that's a lot. That's a lot. They have weak arms, first of all, compared to people. And also, he's lifting an entire horse body, Clydesdale body. God. So, like, just one. His deadlifts are probably amazing, though. <laughs> uh, anyways, I'll, I'm going to continue on. It's Okay. The other really interesting thing about this, too, is, like, he's a warrior, but he's a fighter pilot. So, like, what does he have to be so swole for? That's a good point. And, like, we hear later on that Myrtle is also somewhat swole, but, like, not as swole. I pictured him a lot smaller. And then you got the adorable, like, size difference couple. Yes. So I like to think it was just because of that. So it's like when a giant man snuggles a kitten. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I love everything about it. Okay, I need to stop, like... <laughs> I just need to stop talking about how much I love the two of them, okay? And, like, move oh. on. <sighs> oh my god. I can't fall in love with them too much. Their story doesn't end well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, oh my God. Um, after a minute of looking around for this hidden yerk pool, a man, plain man, suspiciously emerges and starts looking all around him like, what the fuck is going on here? Like looking out for spies. And Marco just continues to note how average he is. He's like average hair color between like brown and blonde, average build, average skin, average hair length. Like even his hair length is an average. So they're like... <laughs> If this guy goes into a crowd, he'd disappear. And then Marco throws out the line, that's what Jake would look like if he had another life. Like, Yeah, I was like, dude, what a weird dunk. <laughs> yeah, Jake's not even here to hear this. Like, <laughs> he's just like fucking insulting him in his own head now for fun. The other thing that, that took me aback was that he describes the age of 35 as middle-aged. And I was like, thanks, Marco. Yeah, although he he said 35 to 45. But still, that's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. Children. They're like, anyone over 20 is old. The end. Yes. Anyone older than me is old. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Fine. I will accept it. I'll accept it. Anyways, moving right along. (laughs) Yes. So Marco was mean to Jake and Jake wasn't even there. Yeah, Jake wasn't even there, and Marco's, like, just dunking on him hard. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they wait for this plain man to pass, and then once they he's, like, a safe distance away, they rush into the cave to, like, find out what was in there. And Axe is like, oh, he must have just hidden his human clothing here, but, like, there's nothing in this cave. There's nothing at all. So the three of them then go back. They're like, we gotta follow this guy. So they pick up his trail again, and they continue to follow him. He walks into an average neighborhood with a plain house with nothing really to see, and then he gives, like, a suspicious look around and unlocks several locks and then goes into his house. And Marco's like, finally, we have something to take back to Jake. Like, the (laughs) rest of the story wasn't enough. Now he can go to Jake. His, His very plain, average, unimpressive friend. His, yeah, that's... 
average height, average width, average everything, average looks. <laughs> Dear God. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's so mean to Jake. <laughs> I mean, I would say he's mean to, to Gefinilin, too, but, like, that's just his human morph. Like, we all know he's the most impressive Andalite of all time. So yeah. I feel like it's not mean to call... Like, that's, like, a blending-in tactic. Yeah, That's, yeah, like, yeah. even a compliment. Yeah. But to say it about Jake is just mean. Yeah. Whatever, Marco. Ugh. Jake's gonna be swole when he's grown up. Yeah. How do you know that Jake isn't swole, Marco? Yeah, Marco. It, well, I mean, he sees him, so he knows. <laughs> I mean, in the future. Whatever. Shut up, Marco. <laughs> Don't come at me. <laughs> fucking attack me, Marco. Don't at you me. fucking big brain asshole <laughs> oh my god <laughs> we're so angry on behalf of jake i know <laughs> it's just such like a like jake's not even there to defend himself not that he would but like i don't know it, just, <laughs> it was mean it was just mean that's your best friend come on god jesus he's really like i feel like he's just really afraid to talk his friend up. And I know these are, this is the 90s and these are boys and it wasn't as acceptable back then, but you can always talk your friends up. Yeah. Even, even if you think they're average, there's something they're good at and you should compliment them on it. Yeah. Be Mark. nice. Yeah, be nice. God. <laughs> That's the moral of this book. Be nice. <laughs> uh, so anyways, uh, the kids meet in the barn the next morning because school is starting late due to a teacher conference. And everyone is shocked by what Marco has to tell them. The first thing they debate is, like, whether or not this guy is in cahoots with Visor 3. And they're going back and forth, like, maybe he is, but then why did he do this, blah, blah, blah. And Marco's like, but the dude saw me morph and he just didn't care. Like, a human boy. He just didn't give a shit. And they're like, remember Gonrod, that dickwad? He almost had a heart attack. But this guy, he didn't give a shit. And Marco's like, there's either a reason for that that's calculated, or there's something bigger that's on his mind so that he didn't notice or care. And Axe, like, jumps in and just goes to bat for this guy. He's like, his reputation among the Andalites is flawless. Like, he is an amazing warrior. He would react with anger in that situation. It totally makes sense. Like, Axe just goes to bat for this guy. Like, everything. He explains away everything. And um, Jake's like, okay, like, I hear you, Marco. I hear you, Axe. But we're not going to treat these guys as enemies from the start. Instead, you two are going to go back to him. You're going to represent the Animorphs so as not to give away any more information they already have. They don't necessarily want him to know that Jake is a human yet. And he's like, you're going to go back, make contact with this guy. And then Jake sends Tobias, Rachel, and Cassie immediately to get some aerial surveillance. And Marco's like, what do you want us to do? And Jake's like, chill for a couple hours and maybe pray. I don't know. <laughs> He also throws weird. some shade at Marco for, like, not coming to the team with all of this yeah. information immediately. Yes, which that particular instance leads to one of my favorite interactions later in the book. So, I enjoyed that. I enjoy that Marco's keeping shit from the team. Uh. Anyways, so, da-da-da, this next chapter... There's, this is where my notes start to get really long because it's awesome. So Marco flaps out to join Tobias above Gefinilin's house. And Tobias is like, why aren't you in school? And Marco, instead of giving like a bullshit answer, he goes, I just don't want to answer that question right now, Tobias. And they're like, 
okie dokie. <laughs> um, Tobias and Rachel had followed Henry, which is Gefinilin's cover name. It was Henry McClellan. And they found out that he's an assistant to a professor that's working on particle physics. So he plays this normal human very well. And I noted in particular that he even ate a donut without freaking out. <gasps> very impressive. How long has he been doing this? Since the dome ship crashed, at least. Damn. Yeah. Take note, Axe. Take note, Axe. This guy can eat a donut. A whole donut. <laughs> Without tearing down <laughs> the entire facility. Exactly. Without anyone being suspicious about him. Uh, but then he got a phone call and rushes home. So Tobias is like, oh, maybe the call was about Myrtle. And Marco's like, hey, don't be all romanticizing it and shit. Maybe the call was from Visor 3. Did you ever think of that? And Tobias is kind of like, oh, again. Again, put down. Tobias is like, throughout this book, Tobias says things that Marco just shuts him down for. And then the very, like, next chapter, Marco will be like, well, Tobias is in a mood lately. And, like, I yeah, don't know what's like, wrong with him. Yeah, it's like, because you're being a dick to him. <laughs> yeah, because you're being an asshole, Marco. <laughs> like, uh, Yeah, so that cracks me up. Like, Marco keeps shutting Tobias down and he's like, I don't understand why he's always in the fall all the time. <laughs> you, Marco, you're the reason. Uh, anyways, uh they're they're scoping out this house and then they see uh Gefinilin entering the greenhouse and Tobias relays to Marco that Axe told him that gardening was super cool to Andalites. Like it's an art form. It's legit. And Marco's like, cool, dude. I guess I'll buy him a ride on lawnmower for Christmas. <laughs> Cracked me up. Oh, my God. I didn't actually write that in my notes. I just remembered it, and I laughed out loud when I read it. So. <laughs> How would that even work? It wouldn't. I I've seen a dog riding a riding lawnmower, though. Maybe he could take the seat back out and just kind of, like, lay his body over top of it. Yes. But then, like, it's not really gardening. It's just like, oh, watch me destroy all my own food. <laughs> oh, no. That's very like, true. Yeah. <sighs> also, what's he, where is he going to keep that? How's he going to get gas for it? What's he going to mow? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many questions. Jesus. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Anyways, <laughs> we're getting back into the earlier book territory where we just spend 20 minutes debating how this thing would work and it doesn't even apply to anything. Well, that's good. I know. I, I like love that. it. I like it, too. But still, how, how is he gonna, even going to transport that out to where Axe lives? Uh, He's going to steal a truck and drive it badly. Oh, that would be... Yeah, he would do that. You're right. <laughs> that's what he's going to do. <laughs> I wonder if he could lift it as a gorilla and just carry it over his head. <laughs> what if he put a big bow on it and then carried it under one gorilla arm and like walked up and like just treated it like it was like a really light present that somebody <laughs> like walking into your house is bringing? Oh, yeah, I got you a little something. Oh, I love <laughs> Ride this. on lawnmower. <laughs> I love this. Anyways, the greenhouse. They're at the greenhouse. Tobias is. He pointed out when Gefinilin entered the greenhouse, blah, 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 and uh, the whole gardening conversation, Marco's like, I'm going to go in for a closer look. And Tobias is like, do not do that. That's a bad idea. What if he looks up? We have no reinforcements here. Don't do this thing. And Marco's like, too late. I'm doing it anyways. And about a foot above the greenhouse, he hits a force field, which is so intensely painful that it actually numbs his brain. 
So the only way he's still flying is that his uh, osprey brain took... I didn't write down what it was, but he's <laughs> an osprey. bird he is. Yeah. I think he's osprey, right? Yeah. Because so. Cassie is too. Harrier is axe. Yep. So he's an osprey. His osprey brain takes over and just kind of sends him like flapping, skimming over the top of the force field. And Marco's in shock. And Tobias is like screaming at him like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, get out of there. What's going... Like, Stop. And Marco doesn't register anything until Tobias screams, oh my god, he has a shredder. And then Marco tries to play like, I am an innocent little bird. And then Gefinilin fires a warning shot that just burns off one of his talons and one of his legs is now a stump. And in this, Marco explains like the disconnect of losing a limb and just like looking down and seeing that all you have is this gory stump with like, you know, bone and (laughs) guts and stuff sticking out. And then Marco goes <laughs> and Rachel and yells would have just been him. like, eh, fuck it. Yeah, Rachel would have been like, well, I have another one. <laughs> uh, so Marco yells at Tobias. He's like, go get the others and hurry. And then he talks to Gefinilin and he goes, what do you want me to do? And Gefinilin goes, land next to the shed and demorph. So Marco does so. And Gefinilin goes, oh, so my eyes did not deceive me then. You are a human. Who gave you the power to morph? And Marco gives some, like, bullshit answer, like, somebody who believes in good. Ugh. And, uh, yeah, it was gross. I'm a little boy. <laughs> I believe in the power of truth and love. <laughs> um, this isn't Yu-Gi-Oh. That's not what Marco said. <laughs> <laughs> Gefinilin warns him, like, hey, whoever gave you those powers is a traitor. And they broke Ciro's law of kindness. And Marco just goes, well, the Andalite who gave me this power is dead. And then Marco gets angry and he's like, you're in league with Vizzer 3. I know you are. Don't lie to me. And Gefinilin goes to strike with his tail blade and like hold it at Marco's throat. But he actually ends up nicking Marco's throat and Marco puts his hand up and it comes away with like blood trickling down. And that's when Axe shows up and Axe just says, if you strike down Marco, he is my ally and an ally to the Andalites and that makes you a traitor. And Gefinilin is just like incredulous. He's like, are you an Arist challenging me? And Axe just goes, yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so anyways, Axe replies, his prince sent him here to talk. And if he kills Marco, obviously they won't be able to talk. And Gefinilin goes, I will speak with your prince and no one else. Certainly not an idiot human child. And Marco's like, okay, bye. And he turns to leave and Gefinilin shouts, no! And when Marco turns around to, like, look at him, he swore that he could see a slight tremor. And then Gefinilin kind of chills out, and he's like, I will agree to speak with you, and he leads them into his house. And this is the most insanely tricked-out modern house ever. <laughs> like, the kitchen, they just keep describing it as something that, like, you would see Martha Stewart in. Like, it's modern, it's clean, everything's state-of-the-art, like... It's awesome. Uh, They keep going through the house and, like, looking at his, like, nice carpeting and nice wall colors and blah, blah. And the only thing that's weird is that all of the art they have hanging up is, like, weird cheap roadside attraction art that's, like, black velvet paintings and sad clowns and shit. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which is hilarious. Uh, Marco makes an educated guess that they probably don't actually live in the house because, like, they don't sit and their hooves are covered in mud. And uh, sure enough, Gefinilin then leads them into a private area that is basically just this giant room with grass growing on the floor and an Andalite tech console in the middle of it. 
And he's like, well, we were able to salvage a lot from the ship, and most importantly, we salvaged the force field generator, which allows us to live as we do. And um, this was like the only Andalite part of the home, and it's only this one room that Marco can see. But Marco's like, well, there has to be something else in here, because Myrtle isn't here. We haven't seen him. Axe has zero tact at this point, and he is like, they get into this cool subterranean basement or whatever with all this Andalite shit in it and tech. And so Axe just immediately goes, so, Commander Gefinolin, why have you abandoned the fight with the Yerks? And Marco's like, <laughs> dude! <laughs> Subtlety. <laughs> yeah, let's have a fucking conversation. Why are you just jumping into this shit? And Marco's fully expecting Axe to get beheaded at this point. Like, he was preparing, like, to see his head rolling across the grass or whatever. Um, but Gefinolin just kind of slumps into this more relaxed pose, and he's like, I will tell you my story. It may not seem plausible, but it is true as I tell it. In the court of the law, or whatever. <laughs> uh, in the battle over Earth, the same one that sunk the dome ship where Axe was stranded, blah, blah, blah. Um, Gefinolin's ship took a hit from a Yerk ship. It slammed into Myrtle's ship, which was already badly damaged. And when that happened, the wings of these two fighter pilot ships locked. The impact sent them both spiraling down to Earth. They survived the crash. And Gefinolin wasn't badly injured. He had, like, some broken ribs and shit, but he was able to morph to heal it. But Myrtle was very badly injured in the crash, and that's how he lost his tail. And so now Gefinolin's like, it is my responsibility to take care of Myrtle. I'm the one who is responsible for his injury. And Axe responds with this, like, oh, that's so bad. And, like, has this very small amount of sympathy. And then Marco's like, well, I'd really like to meet Myrtle. And Axe and Gefinolin are both like, no! And Axe is like, Marco, his solitude is the only thing giving him dignity. You can't intrude on that. No! He should be, like, cast out from society. No! Yeah. No, and, no, like, no, no, no. Axe thinks he's helping to explain something. And Marco's just like, Andalites really need an attitude adjustment on differently abled people. They fucking do! Yeah, they do. Like, your tail blade does not equal you as a person. Yes. Ugh! Yep. And, like, I can follow the Andalite lore about this, like, yeah. because they rely on their tail blades so much, because they're a grazing species that were hunted, like, that's, they've built so much of their culture around being able to fight with their tail blades and how they hold the tail blades means things, and they have all these rituals, and, like, you know, your best friend, the thing that means the, the most to you in the world is, like, a shorm, which is the name for the tail, like, I get it, I get all of why that's so important and how much of their culture is built around it, but, yeah, in no way does not having a tail blade make you less of a person. It's, like, I get it. It's Andalite culture, and, but. And they're racist. They're racist. They're sexist. You know, they're specious. They're ableist. I get it. But. Ugh. Stop. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think the only, not compliment, but, like, the only thing I'll say here that's somewhat positive is that it was really written and it read in a way that said like Axe is not this isn't a burning hatred within Axe. Axe is like totally saying this to try and be helpful and explain how Andalites are. Yeah. And Marco keeps shutting him down. So it was a very clear read the way that Axe was saying it. So it didn't make it sound necessarily like Axe was the one that was totally like coming up with this shit on his own. Yeah. So that's the one 
in defense of Axe I'll give here. It's not really in defense of, but it's just explaining how it was written, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Mansplaining is what it is. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So the, Marco really wants to meet this guy. Me too. Me too. I like him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they still, they refuse to let him meet Myrtle, and Gefinilin invites them then to share some Ilsabar. And Axe is, like, getting that crazed look he gets right before he murders somebody for a Cinnabon. <laughs> and so... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, then they, they go out to share the Ilsabar, and Gefinilin leads them into the greenhouse, which is very impressive, and Marco's, like, poking around looking at all these cool plants, like, that are non-native to our planet and all of like the labels and stuff and Gefinilin at this point takes out some root of a plant that's like looks like onion but is pinkish and they like put it on the ground and start to like grind it into their hooves so they can absorb the nutrients <laughs> meanwhile Marco's poking around touching all the plants stop because that's what Marco do stop touching that's my Marco. plants <laughs> and then he realizes that there's bees everywhere which <laughs> made me want to make the entire thing for this show and all of the images, just Oprah going, bees! Yes. yes! It's my favorite gif. Anyways, Marco's trying to grab the bees. He's like, there's bees everywhere. And he looked for a hive. He couldn't see one, so he just tries grabbing bees. Uh, the first time, he failed. Second time, he gets a bee. He acquires the bee, and he's, like, holding it in his hand when Axe and Gefinilin finish their, their root thing. And then the bee stings him, so he's like, ah, shit, and drops it. And then Gefinilin's like, Axe, bring your prince back to me, and I will share some Ilsapar with him. And then Axe is like, oh, well, I should explain to you. And Marco's like, of course we'll bring the prince back for this. It's fine. And that's how that meeting went. And Axe was, like, looking at Marco like, dude, what the fuck? And Marco's like, it's fine. Just go with it. So, next day, maybe the same day, I didn't write it down, who knows, the kids all meet at the mall accidentally. Marco and Axe were just hanging out, looking for clothes together like guys do? <laughs> I guess. That's what Marco said. I'll believe it. Um, Jake was looking for sports things? Marco was very, like... <laughs> he was looking for a sports ball. That's basically what Marco was saying. He was like, what, can a guy look at sports things? God. Like, okay, I guess. It was weirder that you said that instead of Jake just looking for sports stuff. Um, and then the cutest thing that ever happened. Yes. Rachel's dragging Tobias around with her shopping. And Tobias is all like, ugh. <laughs> uh, I, wonder, I wonder if Tobias has any like PTSD about the mall from his third book everything about tobias going to the mall has to bring back some sort of terrible memory like oh this is where estrid ate the jelly beans and we almost got killed oh this is where marco's mom was and we almost got taken out by york security yeah oh this is the ceiling that i crashed through like yeah oh this is where david killed jake on the floor like yeah everything about the mall is terrible <laughs> this mall why do they keep meeting at the fucking mall pick somewhere else because it's very God. 90s it is very 90s mall oh there's a spotify playlist of mall songs from the 90s oh my god i need it 
it's I was listening to it not while I read this book but while I read the last book and it's distressing how accurate like the music playing is it's it's really stressful oh I thought you meant like like top hits of the 90s that they played in like express and shit no it's the songs of the mall oh my god like you will feel like you're walking through a mall in the 90s oh fuck yeah okay I'm gonna listen to that later yeah you should it's pretty intense yes okay anyways where were we (laughs) Rachel dragging Tobias around with her shopping at the mall it's the best day ever (laughs) they're Cassie was wearing a pair of jeans that fit. I don't know why this was the thing Cassie was doing, because it seems like she had missed a thing to do and instead was just wearing well-fitting pants. I don't know. But this was what Marco said she was doing. So, anyways, they all accidentally make their way to the food court because Axe has to buy an entire box of cinnamon buns and eat it. And Jake (laughs) wanted a soda. (laughs) So they, uh, they all meet up by accident. And they are sitting around this table together while Axe demolishes this entire box of cinnamon buns. And they're careful to keep their faces neutral and their tone normal. But Jake was, like, reprimanding Marco for his stupid decision to go in alone. He's like, Marco, what the fuck are you thinking? And Marco's kind of trying to brush him off, but Jake is pissed. And then Jake is like, whatever, I have to go home. My mom's making my favorite food and she'll wonder where I am if I don't go. So, like, Jake and Cassie leave and... Everybody else kind of follows them off one by one. Like, Tobias is like, yeah, this place gives me the creeps. I'm out of here. And finally, it's just Rachel and Marco left at the table. And Marco tries to make this lame joke like, what, you wanted to be alone with me? And she just cuts to the chase. She's like, I can look past your stupid jokes, but I trust your paranoid gut. I know you're planning on going in before Jake meets up with this guy, and I want in on this mission. I need to cover your butt. And he starts joking like, oh, I knew that you cared. And so she kicks him really hard in the shin. Yep. <laughs> yep. I loved Rachel in this book so much. She's so great. <laughs> She's amazing in this book. Everything she does is so awesome. And I love her. So we cut immediately to the mission where Marco and Rachel are flying to the back of Gefinolin's yard. If this was a TV show, I hope the kick to the shin would have radiated out a pain thing into this scene. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Center circle radiates out. Yeah. Yeah. So she's with him on this mission. They're going to the back of the yard. And Rachel's like, how the hell does Gefinolin afford this? This is like a three acre backyard, which like, that's not like, I, I don't know. This threw me because it just seems like something that Rachel would totally pick up on because she knows weird shit like this. But, like, every other kid, like, three acres isn't big enough for a kid to be like, whoa, this is huge. But, like, anyone who's paid for houses before or looked at the prices of houses would be like, yeah, three acres, that's pretty nice. That's pretty big. <laughs> like, yeah. but not too big to mow. Like, so, anyways, very small side detail. No one cares. <laughs> Moving right along. Marco's like, I guess he won the lottery. I don't know. And then he starts watching the bees to see how they're getting into the greenhouse. And he sees that they're doing like some really cool like maneuvering like up, down, side, side, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a small hole in the greenhouse side that they go through. And so Marco's like, well, I'll just have to tailgate with one of the regular bees to get in there. And so Rachel's like, cool, I'll cover you. She's there in eagle morph. She's watching Marco demorph and remorph to bee. And the sequence of morphing, I fucking loved this it was like 
going back to like book one, it's disgusting. It was filled with facts about bees. Like he had looked up the night before. So like we got, it was so good, right? So like I hated the cheetah morph with Rachel Mm -hmm. because like she was just like spewing off facts. But this one, I felt like it makes sense because Marco did a search on bees and learned a bunch of shit. So, I, yeah. I don't know. I think narratively, narratively it makes more sense and it doesn't bother me as much. It did. You're right. Because it was like, it wasn't like, and then my exoskeleton grew, blah, blah, blah. Then he was like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure my torso compressed into this disgusting jelly thing. It was my chitin coming out, which is what covers the bee because I was pretty sure that my ribs and organs were all jellified at that point, and it was gross. Like, it it absolutely made sense narratively, and it was so much like the early morphs where they used to research really thoroughly before doing it. Yeah. So I really liked it. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, and the reason Marco researched it is because he was very concerned that this was going to be like going ant again, because he's going into a hive. Yeah. So he was like, I'm concerned my... My singularity will be destroyed. Um, or, you know, he he didn't want to go Borg. He wanted to go half Borg. Assert your individual identity. <laughs> Assert my what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only Axe were there to yell at us. Instead he gets Rachel. <sighs> yeah. Instead he gets Rachel, who would just yell profanities at him, probably. Call him an idiot. Get a fucking grip. Yeah. Actually, this is... Okay. So just speaking of Rachel calling him an idiot. So when Marco goes to B, he's taken over by one thought, and that's get to the hive. So Marco's, like, buzzing over to where the hive is. He lands next to this guard bee, and they start doing a little bee dance. Cute. And Rachel's like... It's it's adorable. Their bee dance is adorable. Aww. And Rachel's like, Marco, get a grip. What are you doing? Stop doing... Like, come on. You're You've obviously... Get control of this morph. Come on. And, like, finally it gets through to Marco after she yelled at him for long enough. He's like, oh, shit, sorry, I was in the, the grip of the bee instincts. And Rachel's like, get it together. It's just an idiot bee. And Marco's like, I, I don't think bees could be idiots. And so he launches into this whole thing about how, like, they don't have, like, enough individuality and intelligence to be considered an idiot. It's more like they're just part of a, a hive mind because, you know, they live in a hive and they work together. But I don't think they could be idiots. And Rachel's like... Okay, go on the mission, Marco. <laughs> but wait, I have to tell you about how communism works. Yeah, exactly. And she does call him Comrade Marco after that. <laughs> cracks me up. Uh, yeah, Rachel's like not on board with this bullshit. She's like, please, this is enough, Marco. Go. Go on your stupid mission. And then the most terrifying thing happens Marco waits for a few bees to leave the colony and to start going towards the greenhouse, and so he follows them. And then this giant fucking flying insect monster from hell snags one of the bees, holds it in all of its little, like, leg parts, and shoves a giant proboscis stinger thing through it and sucks the bee dry. Marco writes, like a milkshake? I wrote, like a Capri Sun. (laughs) Yes! Yeah. Yep. So Marco's like... Good thing that thing didn't get me. And Rachel's like, that thing's about to get you. And Marco's like, no, but it he wasn't quick enough to get away from this monster, stingy, stabby thing. So it gets Marco, it stabs him, and then he's falling to the ground. And Rachel's like, sorry, I let you fall, but I got him. I ripped him in half. It's fine. Whoa. And Marco's like, well, I'm terribly injured. 
And so they go back to the back of the yard, Marco demorphs, remorphs, and they try take two. <laughs> so they do take two. Marco starts following some other bees. And they eventually make their way over to this force field, which Marco finds he can actually see quite clearly. And he starts talking about how cool it is because it's something called like bee purple or something like that. But it's on like the scale of color between like yellow and infrared. And it's something that humans, it's totally out of their range of vision. And Marco was just talking about like how fucking amazing and brilliant it was. Um, and then he finds some tunnels in the force field where the bees are getting through. He's like, oh, actually, these are pretty easy to navigate. They're, they're pretty big for a bee. And Rachel warns him, hey, Gefinilin just entered the greenhouse. And Marco's like, well, it's still now or never. You know, I, I got to go in there. So he crawls through the hole in the side of the greenhouse. And Gefinilin, like, turns a stock eye past him as, like, he and a couple other bees fly past. But he doesn't really take note of them. And uh, so Marco just flies right into the house and starts wandering around, looking around at the different rooms. And he's talking about detecting the different scents. So, like, he can kind of detect that there's flowers. There's some cookies with sugar that he can detect. He can detect gefinilin scent, but he has no... There's nothing else in there. Like, no signs of Myrtle being there, living in the house, anything no. like that. So, yeah, I was, so they're like, he's missing. Yeah, I was like, we haven't met Myrtle at this point, so I'm guessing something's up. Yeah, this was like... Yeah, it's very suspicious. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens in the next chapter, is they're all like talking about how suspicious it is like the kids meet up at the barn later jake is fucking pissed that they went on this mission but they do force him to admit that it is valuable that they found out that myrtle was missing and so they start tossing around these ideas of like trying to figure out where myrtle has gone and then also what gefinilin wants and rachel at one point asserts like this guy doesn't know what the fuck he wants and axe is like wait a minute illisbar root is what it, the route that Gefinilin offered them. He's like, it's a mild stimulant for andalites, like coffee or tea would be, but it's also used to help cure, cure Sula's disease, which is an andalite disease that affects the DNA. And then there's like a sidebar about like, why can't he morph out of it? Oh, I get it because it affects the DNA. Like, got it. Um, but this causes extreme pain in the joints. It start the blindness, like the vision starts going weakness and towards the end of the andalite's life even though warriors are trained to not show pain they get so weak and they're in so much pain that you can start seeing signs of this disease ravaging their body yeah and there is no cure for this except to acquire another andalite and become a nothlet of the other andalite but this is considered to be cowardice and cassie goes well then like that doesn't make any sense, Axe, because he would have just acquired you when you were there. And Axe goes, no, he has an impressive warrior's physique and would not want to spend years waiting for a body to reach its full potential. He's like, I'm not going through all that fucking training again. Yeah. I've done too much cardio to give it all up now. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of get that. Yeah. Now that you said it like that, I absolutely, like, <laughs> I absolutely get that. God. God, if I never had to go on the stair stepper again in my life, it would be too soon. <laughs> and yet, tomorrow, that's where I'll be. Hooray! Anyways, no, not hooray. Don't There's think nothing about hooray it. about stair steppers. God. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I never mind. I was going to say that's ridiculous because you could obviously just like, wouldn't it be nice to be younger and to be able to like grow into your body? But you're right. No, fuck that. So Marco then puts it all together. He's like, 
oh, so that's why Gefinilin wants to meet Jake. He thinks that Jake is an Andalite prince and he wants to acquire Jake's Andalite body. And he thinks that he has this like crazy adult body and he must have put out the video of Myrtle to draw any Andalites that were in the area around so he could steal their bodies. And Axe is like, I don't want to believe that because his record is so good, but that could be the, the case. And then Cassie, ever the fucking optimist here, is like, also, why don't we bring the cube with us and give it to Myrtle so he can morph and then he could heal himself. And Axe is like, if he can't morph already, he probably has an allergy or a genetic issue and he's not, like, he can't, they can't enable him to morph because of whatever he has going on. And then Axe kind of sidebars himself and he's like, which is weird because I didn't think they would let anybody get into the academy if they couldn't morph. And Jake's like, everybody, it's not going to help us to speculate like this anymore. We're not getting any closer arguing. Let's just go and check it out and see what the fuck is happening at his house. So they do. Everybody goes to Gefinilin's house and morphs B. And the plan is that Jake will ring the doorbell, he'll go in the house, and if they needed firepower, all the kids were there as bees, so they could become their battle morphs, and it would be great. So Marco coaches everybody about bees. He tells them to watch out for the robber fly, which was the bee-eating insect that we were just talking about. And then they sneak into the greenhouse, and Marco says to Jake, all right, we're all in, you're good to go. And so Jake just rings the doorbell, (laughs) (laughs) which is weird, a weird plan, but okay. Um, Gefinilin walks through, like, from the greenhouse into the main house. Marco's following him as a bee, and he watches as Gefinilin morphs human in the living room and then answers the door. And he kind of, like, hotel rooms it where he stands, like, behind the door with the chain. And he's like, what do you want? <laughs> but Jake's like, uh, Axe sent me? Is this, you know, is this Gefinilin? And Gefinilin's like, no. And then, you know, he's like, well, I know your real name. I know Henry, blah, blah, blah. Let me in. So once Jake's inside, because Gefinilin does let him in once he realizes that he thinks Jake is the Andalite prince that, you know, Axe is following, he starts questioning Jake about the dome ship and, like, were there any survivors? And Marco's like, what the fuck is this guy playing at? Axe just told him the other day that he was the only survivor of that crash. And Gefinilin invites Jake then to, like, let's go into an area where we can both be more comfortable. So Marco follows them as they go into that room with the grass and, and the console and everything. And Gefinilin's like, I invite you to become comfortable, and I'm going to do the same. And so he starts demorphing to Andalite. And Jake, of course, doesn't. Yeah. And that's when things start to get really tense. Gefinilin's like, show yourself. And Jake's like, no, I'm good. He's like, why would you stand in this form? That is a lie. Turn into your Andalite self. And Jake's like, I don't think it matters what my form is. I think we're just here to talk. And it gets, like, really tense. And then Gefinilin goes to arch his tail blade up over his back like he's going to strike Jake. But as he comes forward, he stumbles to the ground and, like, lets out this groan as he collapses. Jake moves towards him, like, to help him, like, putting out his arms. And Marco's like, nope, don't do that. Stop. You you have to listen to what he says. Don't get any closer. And Gefinilin then just goes, there will be no more talk, and grabs a shredder and aims it at Jake. And Jake was okay. such a badass! Jake is an amazing badass in this moment, for sure. I love him. He's so unflappable in these moments. I know. He's such a good leader boy. He is such a good leader boy. Oh, my God. I seriously, I love these confrontations where he's just, like, 
nah, fuck that. <laughs> We're going to do it my way. He has another... <laughs> he has another moment later in the book, too, where he he kind of does that, that I really loved as well. I, I loved all of the kids in this book. Yes. So much. Yeah. But we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. That's right. Let's rate it in the middle. Fuck all it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we won't do that. So, Marco calls in the troops, and within moments, there's a cacophony of roars and howls and screeches from the greenhouse, and then Rachel comes Kool-Aid man style through the wall <laughs> as a grizzly bear. Oh, yeah. Oh, she legit does. She just busts through the wall. Like, fuck it. It's amazing. No one can stop me. And Gefinilin goes, four on one? That's unfair. And then Marco, throughout this whole thing, he had, like, buzzed behind the console and had started demorphing. He steps out and he goes, five against one if you count me, six if you count Jake. And Gefinilin's, like, he waits a beat and he's, like, looking around at all of them and he's, like, wait a minute. You're all human children other than Axe. And, like, this throws him for a loop. And so there's some more back and forth of, like, them going, like, yeah, now tell us what the deal is here. And Gefillin's like, you don't understand. And they're like, tell us. And he's like, you don't understand me. Nobody and understands me. It's legitimately like that. Like, they're just like, please explain the situation to us. And Gefillin's like, nobody gets me. <laughs> God. Uh, but finally they goad him into telling them what's going on. And he, like, he kind of defeatedly is like, well, I guess since, like, all hope is lost, I can tell you what's going on. And he admits that after that video was, was aired, Visor 3 captured Myrtle, but once he realized Myrtle was a Veckel, he's like, I have no use for him as a host. He's he's useless. So Gefinilin offered a straight trade. He said, let Myrtle go and take me instead. And Myrtle was like, no, I'm not going to let them take my friend, Gefinilin. So he's like, he has Sula's disease. He's going to die in a couple months. And so Visor 3 is like, well, you're both fucked up. I can't use either of you as host bodies. So I'll give you Myrtle back if you trade me a fully grown, healthy, morph-capable Andalite. And so that, when Gefinilin stumbled into Axe and Marco, he started laying this trap to try and find a fully grown, healthy, morph-capable Andalite body. And Axe is like, how could you betray your own people? And Gefinlin is like, for me, I don't give a fuck about my own people. This is personal. This is about more than my people. This is about my friend, Myrtle. Friend, quote, quote. Yeah. And it f- absolutely felt like friend was an incorrect edited Yeah, I was like, here. you are in love. You are so in love. It's adorable. And yeah. Yes. Is, yeah. yeah. Subtext. It was absolutely. Yeah, it was absolutely a speech of this is like the love of my life, the only person that's important to me, and you all can fuck off and I don't care. I would do anything for love. <laughs> anyway, we don't need to continue. But to meatloaf it yeah. up. <laughs> I I never knew for the longest time that Meatloaf was the bus driver in the Spice World movie. <gasps> you didn't? Oh, I did not know yep. for the long, not till college. Oh and then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. So after this happens and Gefinilin admits his fuck the people, he just cares about Myrtle. Rachel's like, sweet, badass. Let's go get Myrtle. 
Aww. Great. <laughs> she was like, I I loved her in that moment. And like Marco quotes that whole line and then he goes, I won't even tell you who said that. We all know. Yeah. And I loved that too. Um, so the kids all demorph and they properly introduce themselves to Gefinilin. And he tries to tell them, Myrtle is my responsibility. I will not accept putting children in harm's way for this. This is my problem. And Jake is like, basically, we're going. The Animorphs are going. And you know what? The Animorphs aren't coming with you. You can come with the Animorphs. And that's that. <laughs> like, I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. God. Exactly. <laughs> exactly the comparison that we should make in this moment. <laughs> oh, uh, and that's the last laugh we're going to have for a few sentences here. Oh, no. Yep. Also, uh, Axe is still rude in that scene. Yep. Yep. This is where Axe goes, you can't possibly risk all of our lives for a veckel. And Marco is like... Axe, you're one of us, you're one of the team, but when you talk like that, you're not fucking one of us. And Axe, like, tries to be all like, I never said I was a human. And Marco's like, no one fucking said you were, we're talking about you being a part of the team, you can't talk like that. And then Rachel calls Marco out, she's like, Marco, you're so full of it. Remember the guy in a coma? You called him a vegetable. No, you called him a carrot. And Marco's like, that was black humor, gallows humor, that was different. This is an actual open hatred of a person, and you're saying it to their face, and that's unacceptable. And Cassie came to Marco's defense in this moment by saying, actions speak louder than words. And, like, she and Marco have this moment where Marco thanks her. He's like, thank you for, like, saying this about me. Um, and then Tobias interrupts. He goes, this isn't about Marco. No one cares about the belief system. Myrtle is Gefinilin Shorm, and acts if you can't understand that, and then Jake, like, cuts him off. He's like, this isn't about what Axe understands or not. We're going to go get Myrtle. Gefinilin, where is he? Have you had any contact with him? And that's when Gefinilin goes like, no, Visor 3's been moving him around every hour, never in the same place twice. But we're so close, we're so connected, and we have been for so long that we can always hear each other's thoughts speak. <laughs> maybe not exact words, but maybe just the sound of each other's voices. If you're in love with somebody for so long, you have a psychic connection? Because that's awesome. Yes. <laughs> Did they finish each other's sentences? Probably. Oh. And sandwiches. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. But yeah, Jake is the best leader. Yeah, he just shuts this shit down. Yep. He's like, we're going to go get this Andalite and you can all fuck right <laughs> off. I don't care what you think. I, this was another moment that it would have been really interesting to be in Jake's head and being like, I know half the time part of my team is going to be a problem and I'm probably part of it. It would be interesting to hear that yeah. perspective from him in this moment. Yeah. Oh. I would like it. I would like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel's just like, let's go bird and comb this town so we find our Andalite friend and hope that Myrtle has seen out a window or something. So they go and do that plan that Rachel just said. Gefinilin was an owl that he picked up a while back. They fly around town looking for anything that will give them a clue. And then Gefinilin says that Myrtle caught a glimpse of the outside and it was in a graveyard. And Rachel's like, there's no graveyards this way. And then Gefinilin's like, uh, large metal boxes, like abandoned, all just laying around. And Marco's like, oh, a train yard. Okay. So they head over there. 
and Marco and Jake are sharing this private thought speak conversation while they're flying out towards the train yard. And Marco's like, Jake, this guy said he might double cross us. And what has changed? And Jake's like, no, no, no. We're helping him get Myrtle back. He won't double cross us. We'll be fine. And they argue back and forth until finally Jake's like, we're doing this. It's fine. And Marco goes, okay, you believe that he's not going to betray us and all believe that he's going to betray us. Just we have all of our bases covered. And Jake was just like, fine, just stop talking to me. <laughs> I've had it with all of you. You're all being ridiculously impossible right now. Yes, you're either being racist or annoying. One of the two, or ableist or annoying. One of the two. Yeah, Jake is such a tired uh, dad in this book. He is. He's exhausted. And Marco even says later in the book, more insults to Jake that he looks 50 more often than not lately. Oh, Jake. Uh, yeah, poor Jake. So they get to this train yard. They're scoping it out. They don't see anything. They're looking for any sort of clue. Like they mentioned blue fur on the scraped up metal of a train car. Like anything that'll tell them that they're there. And uh, Cassie, I think, was the one that was looking for a large truck or a horse trailer where they're keeping it. Um, Gefinolin assures them Myrtle's close I can sense it and then someone opens the side of a train car and they see dozens of hork start to pile out of it as this was all happening night is falling so they go and they land in the train yard and they're trying to decide like what to do and it looked like they're just going to have to bust Myrtle out the hard way like we just have to go in bust up the trailer get the fuck out of here so they start going to their battle morphs, and Gefinlin asks Jake, like, can I fight with you? And Jake's like, yes, but if you can't hold out, you need to lay low. We can't afford to try and, or we can't afford to be saving two Andalites tonight. And then Jake tells Axe to stay with him, and he goes, stay with him to assist him in case, you know, he needs help, or stay with him in case he betrays us. And he said that to everybody, and Gefinlin did not react at all. Like, Jake was like, I don't know if it's good or bad, but he didn't even flinch when I say that, when I said that. It's just, yeah. like, completely out in the open. He's like, my priority is Myrtle, and fuck all of you, if that's what needs yeah. to be done. Yes. And I like that Jake was like, I will take you down. Like, just as a warning, I will take you down if you try to betray us. And then Gefinolin is so intensely focused, he doesn't even do shit. Oh! It's awesome. He just wants to save his husband! That's pretty much it. He's like, I'm here to get my my beautiful life partner that I am connected to for all of eternity. <laughs> and you can all fuck right off uh, if you try to stop me. Uh, and I love Jesus it. Jesus Christ. It's so good. Ugh. I love them. I love them so much. I love them so much. <laughs> Do you love them more than Tobias and Rachel, though? No. That's <laughs> no. so offended. It's ridiculous. No, how dare you? <laughs> How could you even say such a thing to me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I I love them in a different way. Like, Tobias and Rachel are my children that I love. Right. And, and Gefinolin and Myrtle are an adorable couple who I adore their relationship and love them from a distance. Yes. But they're not my children, which are Rachel and Tobias. <laughs> so... Uh. It's different. I see. Yeah. Anyways, 
They start approaching the U-Haul truck that they see in the center of this train yard. They're like, ah, that's probably where they're keeping him. Let's go bust him the fuck out. And uh, they're like, yep, that's pretty much it. Marco hears a sad and mournful voice in his head at this moment saying, don't come here. And Marco just turns to Gefinola and says, tell Myrtle we're on our way. <laughs> As they approach, they can now see just how many hork are here. They said some one of the hork had lit a fire like in the middle of the group. And it there's so many. And Marco turns to Jake and he goes, have the odds ever been this bad? And Jake's like, no, but we have the element of surprise. And right at that moment, a hork yells, and a light, because Tobias had totally missed this one that was scrambling up to the top of a train car, and they had been spotted. Tobias! Yeah, I, he was like, oh shit, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the hork flings itself off the top of the car at the seven, count them, seven fucking Andalite warriors here, so the hork thinks. And Marco was like, Rachel, it's your soulmate. <laughs> 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 which cracked me the fuck oh up my God. and then uh it was so good though it was it was a good joke it was marco's best joke <laughs> other than the ride on lawnmower <laughs> oh god these following fight scenes are just so fucking good they are and like i did not do them justice at all in my notes because it created such a scene of like chaos and so gory it's so gory but they're, they're okay it's so badass it's so badass. I have to keep going because there is the most fucking amazing thing that happens, like, in the next few sentences. Yep. Okay. So, um, they all, like, these, the Hork-Bajur are coming at them in waves. Like, they're just sending, like, squadron after squadron of hork to get them. And Jake initially was like, everybody, like, break up. Let's pretend we're surrounding them. Try to make them think there's more of us than there is. But they got overrun so quickly that the plan changed before they could even try to enact it. And it's like, nope, there's too many of them. They're about to overtake you. And Jake's like, okay, everybody just fight. And Axe fighting alongside of Gefinolin, they were talking about how he was even more brilliant than usual oh. and, like, quick and amazing. Oh. So that was awesome. Oh. And Marco, you know, was, of course, like, swinging fists and crushing them. And he got uh, sliced in the shoulder where hork kind of surprised him, brought a blade down. And as the hork was about to, like, nick him again with the other blades, Gefinolin came out and just slashed and, like, got Marco free. And they had this moment mid-battle where Gefinolin's like, hey, Marco, maybe next time you should watch your back. And he was, like, kind of smiling at him, like, you know, <laughs> like the gruff older war veteran that's, like, you know, saying to the new guy, like, come on, Watch man, your back, you newbie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and Marco just joked back, yeah, okay, I will next time, because, like, he's no newbie to battle at all. Um. So they're, they're fighting, slashing. Marco's getting cut open in little bits, but they're they're keeping him kind of out. Uh, and Gefinolin seemed really happy kind of to be fighting alongside them. And then Rachel starts calling for help because she had gone elephant for this battle and she got herself stuck between two train cars. So she was able to kind of fight the hork in front of her, but there's some coming behind her that she couldn't take care of. So... Marco runs over to help her. He drags the hork off of her. She starts to back out. And, like, there's a, a pretty funny exchange here where, like, you know, Marco's like, yeah, I'll watch her. And, like, Rachel's like, don't even say it. Don't even say it. Don't say watch my ass, basically, is what she was leading into. But, um, 
But then Marco got dragged into his own fight because Horkbajer had come around the corner at him. He got, like, kind of cornered into this train car and they were surrounding him. And so Marco did the only thing he could think of in this moment. He did a full male silverback gorilla display of roaring and beating his chest, which caused the Horkbajer to kind of, like, back for a second because the display was so intense. And he used that split second to slide into the train car and slam the door shut on them. (laughs) It only slowed them down for a few seconds, though, while they opened the door, which is just enough time for Marco to notice that there was a ladder in the train car. When the Horkbajer made it into this car, the first two that were coming at him, he grabbed them and slammed their heads together and their horns pierced through each other's heads and they got stuck together and died. Oh, my God. How brutal is that? Jeez. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that was crazy. So, after that happened, it gave Marco a little bit more of a start, and so he was able to climb up the ladder and get onto the roof of the train car, where he just starts running across the cars. So Marco badass. Spots- so badass. He's so fucking badass in this scene. God. So he spots the U-Haul ahead of him. He calls out to the others, head towards the main gate, and they're like, where's the main gate? Marco's like, I left. Just go left. I don't know. So he's running across the tops of the cars and trash, whatever he needs to, to intercept this truck. And Rachel's behind him, but she doesn't know where the main gate is exactly, so she's kind of, like, further back. Jake and Cassie were trying to, like, get to him, but they got intercepted by Horkbajer and they couldn't make it. Gefinilin had started to slow down in battle and wasn't able to hold his own, so he and Axe dropped back. So Marco's the one that's still running with Rachel trying to catch up, and Tobias is above him and, like, saying, you're almost there, you're, like, you're gonna intercept it, but you have to keep moving, like, go, go, go. So Tobias directs him towards where the U-Haul is coming, and Marco can see the headlights, and he's getting ready to jump on the car, and Tobias goes, hold until I give you the order. And then as the truck passes... Tobias yells, go, go, go. And Marco leaps onto the U-Haul, leaves a giant dent in the roof, and just, like, lands this shit. But Tobias goes, hey, the driver heard something. And Marco's like, no shit. Look at the fucking dent I left in the roof. Of course he heard me. So Marco starts climbing to the front of the truck. He goes to rip the driver out of the driver's seat, but he's a second too slow, and the driver slams on the brakes, which sends Marco flying 40 feet in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Marco rolls to a stop, and he starts to try and stand up, but he's really unsteady from that car accident that he was just in. And the truck driver slams the gas pedal and starts hauling towards Marco, picking up speed. Marco's not really reacting fast enough. He's still, like, trying to get out of the way, but he's still shaky. And then all of a sudden, a train car slams down in front of him and skids to where the truck is, and the truck smashes into it and stops dead Rachel had picked up a train car and thrown it in the way of the truck. God. And Mark, so badass, right? She's so cool. So good. So, so good. Um, And Marco's only reaction to this, he's like, great job, Rachel, getting Myrtle into a train crash. And Rachel's like, you're welcome for saving your life yet again. Here's the thing, though. I feel like if I were a truck driver... I would not try to go out of my way and hit a 400-pound silverback gorilla. I feel yeah. like that would... I mean, that would definitely fuck him up, but that would also really fuck up your car, and he might go through the windshield. I guess it depends on how fast you hit him. Because, like, yeah. you, you don't want to hit deer in your car. and No. So you definitely don't want to hit a gorilla. 
Ugh. But it is an Andalite Bandalite, so. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, I wouldn't try to hit him either, but I could, like, I could see being so enraged, like, as a Yerk, he was so enraged, he was like, I gotta try to kill him. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but Rachel was amazing. Rachel was amazing, and they do give a mention to the truck and how it was just this twisted, crushed mess. The entire cabin was, like, totally crushed, but the driver had managed to jump out and, like, took off, and Marco's like, I don't even know how he did it. Like, I don't know how he got out of there in time, but he did. And so they head to the back of the truck and they're like trying to open it. And Marco's trying to pull it up. It's not budging. Rachel tries to pull it up. It's not budging. And the rest of the team is slowly showing up at this point. Like Jake and Cassie show up and they're just bloodied messes. And then Gefinolin shows up and he's like, I got this. I'll open the door. And he punches the giant scythe of a tail blade through the back of the fucking truck. Just like wham. And Marco's like... (laughs) Marco was amazed. He was like, this dude may be dying, but, like, fuck is he a badass. Oh, my God. Nothing's going to keep him from his partner. Yes, it was exactly like I that. Just, I fucking love that, like, Rachel and Marco couldn't open the door, but he's like, get out of my way. Poof. Oh, yeah. God. Exactly. Oh. Myrtle's in there, and I'm getting him out now. Oh, God. My heart. And then, like... I love this part so much because he literally starts scraping down the sides with his tail blade to create this like vertical opening cut. And once he gets it like most of the way open, then Myrtle just gives like three really strong kicks and knocks the wall out so that he can get out. Like, it's like Myrtle's not like he had given up before, but now that he's rescued, he's not like still mopey. He's like, okay, I'm back. I can do this. And I love that. <sighs> God. So everybody moves off into the woods to get away from the wreckage of the truck and the hork and the train yard where they might get caught and just to put some distance behind them. And that's where they really see Myrtle for the first time. And they say, like, he's still a pretty strong-looking Andalite guy, but the stump of his tail he holds super close and low on his body. And Marco mentions, like, that doesn't look comfortable at all. And it really, like, his body language just looks like he's ashamed. Aww, and baby. I know. I know. So sad. <laughs> and Myrtle thanks them, and he's like, I would never expect warriors to save a Vekel like me. And Cassie goes, I don't know what you mean. And Axe, like, tries to helpfully explain. He's like, well, he never thought perfectly healthy warriors would risk their lives for a Vekel. And then Axe corrects himself, and Axe goes, sorry, Marco would call them someone who's differently abled. And Rachel gets really frustrated, and her argument, which just made my heart so fond of her, was she gets really frustrated, and she's like, "I, why can't we all just get the fuck over this whole cripple thing? After all, there's plenty of perfectly healthy people that are complete wastes of space, in my opinion. And Jake's, like, he tries to intervene at this moment and bring some, like, sanity back to this argument. And he asks Axe, do you consider Gefinolin to be a hero of Andalite people, of of your culture? And Axe nods. And Jake goes, well, then maybe part of him being a hero was his ability to see past the physical differences in someone. And Axe goes, well, no. He's good friends with Myrtle. They've been friends forever. So through the eyes of friendship, he sees him as a normal person. And that's the exception. That's not the norm. 
And Cassie goes, well, what even is normal? And then Tobias adds <laughs> his input, and he gets really frustrated. He's like, stop stop saying what's normal, what's not normal. I'm a bird. My best friend is an alien. My girlfriend is a human unless she's in morph. And normal means nothing. It doesn't fucking mean a thing. So Axe, at that point, turns to Myrtle, and he says, it was an honor to meet you. I will remember you as you were. And Marco's like, well, that's a good start, but not like nice try but not great acts um and then gefinolin grabs the attention away from all of this because he has started to have a trembling fit and he informed them like informed them that he was grateful for all of this but he would like to depart with myrtle now to live out the last few months of his life in peace because he doesn't have that much longer to live and uh yeah marco realizes that there was a lot of signs of his sickness that they had overlooked initially like he didn't realize that marco was a human because he couldn't really see them because his vision was going and he can't really see the plant in his garden that's why he labeled them and he's you know he's trembling a lot and weak and jake is like we'll help you home we'll make sure you guys get home all right but you know visor three still might come after you and gefinolin just says we're of no use to visor three like, he, there's no reason he would come after us. We can't be hosts to him. And Marco adds, yeah, if anything, he would come after us for ruining his plans. And Cassie's like, good job, Marco. Ending on a high note. <laughs> so that is that chapter. Do you want to talk about it or do you want just, me just to finish go it. through the final one? Finish okay. it. I'll finish it and then we can talk through it. Okay. So... The Animorphs had promised that they would not go back to Gefinolin and Myrtle, but Marco has made the decision to visit on one final unauthorized visit. And Marco proceeds this whole thing by thinking about how people are defined a lot by one thing. Like, he was the kid whose mom died. Or to his friends, he was the kid whose mom was taken by aliens. And, you know, everybody... He kind of goes through the team, and some of them are good, some of them are bad. Like, you know, Rachel's, like, the pretty one or whatever, like, that sort of stuff. Um... But he starts with Gefinolin. He's the one who has the disease. And he goes, and Myrtle would be, you know, the cripple, basically. And so Marco's, like, just considering all of this and realizing he needs to, to talk to him one last time for his own sake. And so he waited until Gefinolin was at work one day and he flew over. And he could see that Myrtle was out in the greenhouse. So Marco, Marco thought speak called out to him. So he wouldn't get scared. And so Myrtle wouldn't shoot Marco. <laughs> and Marco was like... I'm worried that even, you know, if he's left alone one day, sometime soon when Gefinolin dies, there's going to be no one in that house with him and no one able to protect him. And, you know, he's not going to be able to morph to protect himself. So he reaches out. He reminds Myrtle of who he was, like, hey, I'm the gorilla from the other night. And then he says, hey, if or when Gefinolin dies, you should call us up, reach out to us because I'll come over. We can talk. We can play some video games. We can hang out, whatever. Um, I just want you to know that I'll come over here because you can't be alone with something like this. It's just, it's just not good to be alone. And there was a really long pause where Myrtle didn't say anything. And Marco started freaking out like, oh God, I've said something terrible. I've, I've offended him. I, I do this sometimes. Like I just talk and I don't think about what I'm saying. Blah, blah, blah. But after a few moments, Myrtle does respond and his voice is really strong and energetic and it has a hint of pride to it. And he goes, thank you, Aris Marco. Perhaps I will do so. Oh. That's the end of this book. Fuck. Tell me everything. Well, I'm like, I'm super psyched that Marco did that. Um, yeah. 
because like yeah the whole like isolation thing is just it's it's really not good to isolate yourself i am a living example of this that was so sweet what marco did and i just i love him so much i do too (sighs) i i loved that he reached out and i know that like Marco knows, we all know, it's not the same situation, him losing his mom and his mom, you know, technically isn't dead and everything, but, like, I love that he showed that, like, understanding and Mm -hmm. wanted to be like, listen, I'm here for you, and there's no ulterior motive, nothing. I'm just, I'm here for you. Yeah. Um, That being said, I'm kind of surprised that Marco was the one to push for, for, um, to defend Myrtle, basically, and... Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's more Cassie's domain. I'm kind of surprised Cassie wasn't the one who's being like, hey, Axe, you're being a fucking dick right now. I mean, I guess yeah. I guess Marco's more likely to say, hey, you're being a fucking dick. But I'm kind of surprised that Cassie wasn't more involved in the, in the discussion. Um, yeah, she wasn't, she really wasn't even involved in the book all that much. Like, she was the yeah. person that was least in here. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a narrative choice to make Marco just just keep it being Marco's book. Um, but probably. Um. Yeah, yeah, reading acts in this book was so rough for me. Like, I I wish he had had more redemption at the end. Like, I was hoping. Like, it's like he's being insufferable throughout the entire book, and it's like, okay, well, maybe at the end, like, he'll be like, oh, actually, sorry, I was wrong. But he really didn't. He was just kind of like, I mean, he kind of made an effort, but I guess that just belief is so deeply ingrained in him that, I don't know. Like, he got over the Aldrea thing, so I was kind of expecting him to get over this thing. Yeah. (sighs) I See, I kind of loved that, though, because, like, the Aldrea thing, I'm going to argue he could kind of get over that easier because a half of that was just that he was Ciro's daughter. And so meeting her as a person, like, kind of eliminated, like, one pillar of what was going on there. In this one, I think it would have been, like, it would have been good to have more of a redemption for him than just the, like, tiny strides that he made. But I think it is a more realistic choice that he's like, I can't shed all of the beliefs of my culture and all of these things that have been impressed on me for so long Mm -hmm. in this instant so i love that he took like that baby step instead of like the full just switch at the end where it's like oh fix now haha everybody you know it's fine blah blah blah. it's like no this is an ongoing growth thing and something he's gonna have to keep coming to terms with yeah and i really hope that i don't know about um galifianakis but i (laughs) i i don't i i can't I don't know his name off the top of my head, so I just Gafinolin. Yeah, Gafinolin. Um, I I'm pretty sure Gafinolin's not going to be returning, which is really really sad. Um, but if yeah. I hope that Myrtle comes back in the future, in some way, and that maybe Axe could make more of those strides later on. I don't know if that's a guarantee, but that would be nice. Yeah. Um, don't confirm or deny whatever. I'm not. I'm <laughs> Um, and, like, it's interesting that he treated Myrtle with such disregard, but Gefinolin had this, like, really debilitating disease, and he wasn't Mm -hmm. treated with nearly the same vitriol. 
I I think that that goes back to their tailblade focused culture because Gafinilin had a disease, but he was dealing with it in like a a warrior machoistic way where he was hiding his pain and like which again is a whole other unhealthy level of shit yes. that he's doing right yes, now yes. but he's you know he's hiding his pain he is not stealing somebody else's body like he initially thought he's just gonna live out his days with dignity whereas in Myrtle's case he's saying like if he doesn't have a tail blade he like he can't be part of our society because you know we're we're herd creatures that's our only form of protection he's not gonna pull his, like it's a whole other thing plus oh. when like we saw back in book 18 it's a sign of completely casting off this person in in the andalite world by the um whoever's a superior officer chopping off his tail blade like it's saying you are shamed and you have to leave and you can't be part of our culture so there's that military side of it Plus that whole inherent, like, you know, they can't defend themselves anymore. So they are not helpful to the herd. It's like, it's almost like an animalistic heritage thing and a cultural thing. I mean, that's an interesting point. I didn't think about that. Because, yeah, like, grazing animals, if if one is hurt, they're not necessarily going to go out of their way to defend that animal. Like, musk oxen will, I think. But, like, most of Mm -hmm. them, it's like, you're a liability. So, bye. Um, exactly the slowest weakest members of the herd get picked off and that's members without tail blades that being said though there's such a level of intelligence to the andalites that i feel like they should be able to get past that and yeah oh yeah fucking myrtle can contribute to society in other ways like he could you know be more of an intellect or not be more of an intellect but he could go like help with other things that don't involve fighting like how easily he could be a fighter pilot still like you don't necessarily need your tail for fucking flying a a ship like he's not useless by any stretch of the imagination and even if he couldn't do those things he's still valuable as a person like yeah it like it it resonated with me personally because of my own injury and not being able to draw and me feeling like i don't like, I no longer matter to society because I can't contribute in this way. But it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. Like, ugh. I don't know. I was personally offended by it. Yeah, no, that's it. That's totally legitimate. And that makes total sense. Like, I'm I'm not at all arguing that the Andalite perspective yeah. is correct. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I think I'm trying to rationalize more why Axe treated Myrtle in this way versus Gefinilin. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it, Myrtle can contribute so much and he's still like an intelligent, completely capable being Mm -hmm. that can, like, he can do anything really. Like there's no reason at all to, to treat him like he shouldn't be part of society. And I think that's a totally outdated. Yeah. It's completely antiquated. Like, yeah. And there's. Like, like so much of Andalite culture, it's completely antiquated and steeped in this weird tradition stuff that they have. And it's the reason that they do the rituals and everything, even though intelligence wise, they know if they don't turn to the east every morning and like dip their hooves in water, nothing will fucking happen. But yeah. they still do the rituals every morning because it's their weird ass fucking culture. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I just I I love Myrtle so much like he's. I don't know. And I, I really loved the the scene where when he was in the back of the truck 
when they did have him, like, and were rescuing him, the last part of that process was him kicking out the back of the door. Yeah. And I loved that. Like, it's such a small moment and probably insignificant. I'm probably reading way too much into it. But it was just like, oh, so, yeah, he hasn't lost hope. He hasn't lost life. He's still going, like, he still has, like, in himself some sort of confidence or value that he sees, even though everybody else is kind of coming down on him. And so he told them to, like, leave, don't risk yourself for me because he didn't, want to like completely be selfish or whatever like he's he's still got that kind of humility but he's not a goner yet he hasn't given up he's not saying well leave me for dead i'm just gonna lay on the floor will you guys rescue me and i loved that yeah and and i don't know maybe you want to see gefiddlin again you know mm-hmm. like i'm sure oh just yeah so good I, another part of them that I love is just that they're like, we don't want anything to do with this conflict. We just want to be left alone. Like, so much has been taken from us. We kind of deserve to be isolated and not have you guys bother us. Yeah, can you, <laughs> like, <laughs> can you leave? Like, they were, <laughs> yeah, they were both hurt so badly from the war. Not to say the kids aren't hurt and, like, yeah. you know... Obviously, they are. They're scarred and they're maimed and everything, but they still have, like, fight left in them. These guys are like, listen, we're almost taken out. We can't... We'll contribute when we can, but, like, otherwise, please just, like, let us live out the rest of our days in peace. <laughs> it's kind of sad, but um, I also... I wonder if this technically makes this a uh, a part of the barrier gaze trope, since Gefinolin is pretty much dead i don't know what that is please explain it to me <laughs> so <laughs> um the barrier gaze trope is it, you, you see it a lot in kind of older media it, it's becoming more of a, an awareness thing now but like a lot of times you'll see like you have like the one gay person or gay couple and inevitably one of them or both of them will die and so a lot of people that were making like shows and movies and books and stuff were saying like, Oh, you know, like here's, here's gay representation, but it doesn't really count as gay representation if your gay person dies. Um, and it's a really just kind of unhealthy sort of trope that is in a lot of things, unfortunately. Was that what everybody got up in arms about with the adventure zone with the, um, yes, yes. Pedal to the metal. Pedal to the metal. Yeah. Um, which they retconned it later, which is great. Um, but yeah, they didn't know about it either. Like a lot of people just don't know about it. Um, so yeah. And, and you can look it up online. It it explains it a lot better than I did, but yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it's just became this thing of like the only gay representation, inevitably the gay person dies and there was no like happy endings for anybody. So anyway, the more, you know, the more, you know, okay. I, I had only ever heard about this from uh the adventure zone yeah. and i had no clue like i had never heard it called what's the actual name for it again <laughs> bury your gaze okay yeah i'd never heard it actually referred to as that so i knew about the controversy i'd kind of heard about it from from pedal to the metal mm-hmm. but i didn't really i didn't know what it was called or anything yep interesting but but yay gay andalites that's awesome <laughs> yeah Oh. Well, that's the other thing, like, 
God, on top of everything else, what the fuck would the Andalites say about them being gay? Oh, and we yeah. don't find out anything about that at all. No. And X doesn't seem to care. So maybe nothing. <laughs> they're <laughs> but, like, they're yeah. sexist, they're racist, they're ableist, but not homophobic somehow. <laughs> no, not at all. God. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, I just... X is... I love him so much, but he's been showing these really ugly sides of himself. And I know that's a product of his his people and his culture, but unless he like learns from it or it's like he's still so isolated from the andalites in the same way that like he's not unless he like kills viscer three himself like he's Mm -hmm. he's basically an outcast and you know before in his books he said like i've chosen the humans i have chosen this team and it's like maybe he's still trying to hold on to the andalite culture in that way but it's like you could choose some better aspects of the culture to hold on to like and it's like yeah. I can't I can't really defend him when he's being this way. Like I don't know. Well, I mean, you don't have to defend him. I'm like not, yeah. there's yeah. And like of of I mean, I think it's important to say that we with all of these characters, like as much as we love them, they all have extremely real flaws yeah, and yeah. stuff that we don't like about them. Just like real people that you interact with in real life. Yeah. You yeah. know? And yeah, I'm so, not saying he has to be perfect. I'm just saying yeah. that like yeah, that was less directed at you and more yeah. at, like, if somebody was, like, going to come at one of us and be like, oh, you can't say blah, 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 or you have to defend this character because you like him. It's like, well, we don't have to defend him. Yeah. Like, that's shitty behavior, and we can call it out, but the bright side is is that he has never staunchly stood there and said, I will not accept this. Like, he might at first do that. Yeah. But... Every time we've seen this from Axe, he has grown from it and changed. And maybe not to the point where we'd be comfortable or happy with it. Yeah. But he's shown that growth and he's shown steps towards doing the right thing. Or, like, you know, say, like just believing in, the, in people and, and mm-hmm. you know, letting go of the Andalite terribleness that is their culture. Yeah, and it's like, we've all said bad shit before sure yeah and we will probably continue to say bad shit hopefully just out of ignorance but like right this is why i we could talk about this outside of the podcast but like this is why cancel culture is really just like if somebody accidentally said something bad like years ago like there's no use in like bringing it up now and being like oh this person said something 10 years ago and it's like that person has probably grown and changed since then yeah, like, absolutely. So it's not like I'm saying that, like, you say something bad now that makes you a bad person. It's it's your inability to change and inability right. to grow and learn and want to be better is what I think is the main problem. And the fact that yeah. Axe has been growing and changing is optimistic. Yeah, and it's also, like... We, th- it's so cool and crazy that we're having this conversation right now in 2019 and saying like, but Axe is changing and growing and coming up to our standards. This was 20 fucking years ago that this book was published. Mm-hmm. And it was like, this would have, they're saying similar messages to what we are saying now. Yeah. Like, 
And that is an amazing thing to be able to, like, look back on and say and not like, oh, God, this is dated. I'm so sorry we have to say this out loud. Like, this is a really solid, cool thing that we get to do. Yeah. And just, like, the whole defending people who are differently abled and, like, even having, like, LGBTQ plus representation in the books, even though you don't really, like, Mm -hmm. say it, is, like, these books are really progressive for their time. Yeah. Yes, they are. Like, oh. Yeah. And, like, we don't get a ton of backstory on them other than a few mentions from Gefinilin, but, like, he was a... He's a warrior. Like, he's a warrior's warrior. He is, like, the classic, like, this is what an Andalite needs to be. His track record is flawless. He's a hero. And so is Myrtle, for that matter. Mm -hmm. They're both, like, flawless, very strong. Everybody in the culture of Andalite likes them. And they have basically said, fuck our culture. It's wrong to do this to people that are disabled. Like, we're going to be with who we love. We're not following any of the shit they're saying because it's not right. And, like, the growth that they must have gone through that we don't even get to see to get to that point has to be amazing. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, their story would make an amazing Chronicles book that I would kill someone to have. (laughs) I would kill a man. (laughs) I would kill a man to have their Chronicles book. Catherine, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, let's write characters. Okay, Jake. Five. Five. Hands down, great leader, excellent Jake. Jake Jake-isms. Yes. Just good, 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 good. Excellent Jake-isms. And I am going to say right now, I adore the fact of how many times he just shut this shit down and said, we're going to go do the right thing. Fuck whatever you're... Like, I don't care about this argument. We're doing the right thing and we're doing it now. Yes, Loved it. (gasps) What do we think about Rachel? Also a five. Five! (laughs) Just... God, I fucking loved her. God, she's like... (laughs) Oh, this is the strongest she's been in the past few books. Like, she's always strong, but, like, she played a much more prominent role. I loved her dynamic with Marco. I love their tag team. Just good. Um, All right. What about... Let's do Tobias first this time. I don't know. I liked his little outburst near the end to be like, hey, there is no normal. I'm a Nothlet. Blah, 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 blah. I loved that whole fucking... Mm -hmm. Just, ugh. Just sweet, sweet boy. He's so sweet. And I'm sorry he took a tail blade to the face. Happens to all of us, though, I guess. It happens all the time. And Tobias is, like, he's so willing to just, like, throw himself into the fray to try and help his friends. I love him. Okay, five. Oh, yeah, five for sure. (laughs) He's just so, like, oh. Um, I'm going to go ahead and skip us over to Cassie. Yeah, I was about to say. (laughs) Yeah. Ah. I love Cassie. She wasn't really in this book. She was like probably the most downplayed character, but Mm -hmm. I'm still going to give her five because I love her. I'm giving her five too. Every part that she was in was like just so purely her. And it was often just lines like, like the whole, like when Myrtle's like, I didn't think you were going to come after me. And Cassie was really confused. Like, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And the whole like actions speak louder than words. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and have us talk about Marco before Axe, okay. because let's not be a downer yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, 
like again, I feel like this was an axe book as told through Marco. So yeah, not Marco wasn't bringing his like A plus game, but he was still bringing his A game. I think. So yes. I will just give him a five. Yeah, I'm giving him a five because this is the first book in a while that hasn't been centered around him and his mom and him having to make those yeah crazy decisions. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, I loved that Marco, who often says things that are, like, harsh, and they come out in a way that's wrong or doesn't feel right, but, like, we were still able to, like, get to the heart of the meaning of what he's saying, and I love that flaw, because it's so hard to say in the moment when you're talking to somebody the right thing. Yeah. So this was, like... It almost felt like he was a stand-in for any one of us that has tried to, like, stand up and say the right thing to somebody, and it comes out completely garbled, and you feel like shit, but, like, it's having somebody there to say, like, I see your intentions, and you did good. Yeah. And I loved that. Yeah. So, yeah, he gets a five. Axie boy. Oh. I mean... He wasn't completely irredeemable. Like, there were moments I absolutely loved him. I loved how he was geeking out over his heroes. I loved how he was fighting with Gafinolin at the end, and he looked amazing. And and he, he bought a whole box of cinnamon buns and ate it because he's a monster. <laughs> yes. It's just We just got a lot of his prejudices in this book, and it was just rough. Um, I don't obviously like his behavior and things, but I did really, I mean, obviously I liked the growth and I liked the level of internal conflict that that brought. Like, I liked that it wasn't a straight, like how boring would this book have been if it was just everybody on board with everything go, True. like they see Gefinnel and they go on this rescue mission. It would have been an okay book, but like the infighting in the team and like, them all like banding together and like yeah so much of what we talk about early in the books is like the conflict between the characters and how they resolve it or how their relationships are and how they change and we're at a point where they're all kind of gelling so well as a team that we don't have to have those conversations anymore yeah but this was just this entire book had notes of very early books yeah. and i liked seeing a lot of those things come back and i think this was a part of it yeah. Yeah, you're right. It wouldn't have been nearly as interesting if if everyone was just on board and there was no conflict. But I think I just hate that it was Axe, my favorite boy. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. I will give him a three then, because you brought up a lot of good points. I'll give him a, a three as well. That's what I was, was aiming towards. Okay. Expect better from you in the future, baby boy. I love you. I still love you. <laughs> Yeah, but he's growing. He's learning. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. Yeah. All uh, right. Gefinolin think... and uh, Myrtle get fives, obviously. Oh, yeah. Fives for both of them, for sure. God, I couldn't give Gefinolin anything but a five because he's so, so fucking swole. Okay, let's read the last five books that we did. Do you want me to do all of them? Like, I'll do all my ratings first? Sure. Okay. Well, the worst one ever of all time was Rachel's. Yes, agreed. There's no... Shit. It's just terrible. Agreed. Uh, Followed closely by Jake's mutation book. Yes. Okay, not closely. There's distance. Yeah. Okay. Um, By Jake's book. Same. 
And then and then the the Andalite book for sure. Axes. Axes book. Yeah. Yeah. The arrival. Yeah. Okay. Me too. All right. We're so far. We're in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh. Perfect. And uh, then I. <sighs> this is where I'm having the problem. Uh, yeah, because oh. like I my gut right now right off the bat and i'm gonna be able to talk myself into and or out of this but my gut is to say cassie's and then marco's was the best mm-hmm. but uh-huh but i feel like i'm saying that because marco's book was carried by gefinolin and myrtle and i love them right and if we're actually looking at the overall quality of the books mm-hmm. marco's is second and Cassie's is first. That's exactly how I feel. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I just I listening to the Water Buffalo episode today. I just I I loved that book so much, and it's like it's not the most original book. At least like yeah. the Gefinolin and Myrtle book is like new stuff, and and the yeah. Cassie book is like you know like I said in the episode, basically Megamorse one. So, but I just, I really liked it. I don't know. I really, I liked it as well. And like, okay. So like, and like part of the warring factions inside of me is like, Gefinolin and Myrtle, obviously we love them. That is an incredible book to come out for the time period that it was in. I love the messages. I love the stand it took. I love that there are gay Andalites. I like, I love so much about it, but like, Cassie and the Buffa Man were just like, <laughs> that's like, I, I was like listening back to it. And like when we're describing it as like the kid and their dog story, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Oh, oh God, I don't know. So hard. It can, can we make a tie? I, that's kind of where I'm leaning because I just, oh, I don't, I honestly couldn't place one over the other because they're both for very different reasons yeah. like very like complete opposite end of the spectrum different reasons yeah. why they're good i i don't know I what else gotta to do call a tie. it's just it's a tie maybe i'll feel differently after i edit this episode or episode 40 <laughs> but um, but yeah I, I i can't i can't pick a winner like everything else was so like i didn't even have to think about it but yeah. these two are just uh, very, very strong contenders. They are both first place. Yes, they both share first place, which in turn brings Axe's book up to second, Jake's book to third, and Rachel doesn't come in dead last for once. Well, I mean, she is dead last, but on the <laughs> five book scale, she is one from last. Yes. <laughs> and that's encouraging. <laughs> All right. I feel good about this. I do, too. <laughs> oh, Christ. Well, shit. We did it. There you go. There you have it. Oh, my God. Uh, so, if you want to email me your Andalite workout routine, just send that <laughs> on over to anonymousanimorse at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at Animorse Anonymous. Or our super secret, super awesome Facebook group, The Andalite Bandalites, which is facebook.com slash group slash Anonymous. You can tweet at me at Anon. You can hit up Instagram and see all the terrible pictures at Anonymous. You can find our podcast on all the podcast sites, including Spotify, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Google Play, 
iTunes, other things. I, I greatly apologize for not doing the music better. <laughs> well, if you want to talk about doing the music better, tell me about your comic. I have a web comic. It's about music <laughs> and gay romance. So topical, I guess. Um, yeah, yes. it's called B-Side You. You can check that out at B-S-I-D-E-Y-O-U-Comic.com. Um, yes. Also, if you like art and if you like our newest little Andalites, um, you should go to Maisha's Twitter and go look at that cool fan art she did. Um, and you can check that out at Palace of Posey. So go do that. I am going to check that out because I want to see it. It's very good. Oh, is it cute? It's very cute. That's all I wanted. <sighs> That's everything I've ever wanted. Uh, all right, let's uh, get out of here because honestly, this train car fire of a podcast that we've left is probably dangerous and we need to run as far and as fast as we can. Like that driver, somehow. Like that driver coming out of the car crash. Yeah. Train crash. Somehow. That's right. All right. Okay, bye. I'm out. Bye.